you would, turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 3. As we come to the end of our sermon series, looking at these four minor prophets, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. Um, as we come to the end, uh, one thing I want you to be aware of uh, is on the back um, is a new reading plan for the end of this year and the first five weeks of 2024 um, that will uh, help you to stick with us. Uh, Sunday School is going to be looking at James. I'm going to be preaching a, a little bit different sermon series, um, but uh, we would just encourage you to grab one of those. They're also on, they'll be on the website this week. Um, and so just encourage you to grab one of those reading plans uh, and uh, come along with us as we start a new series here in the coming weeks. As we come to the end of this sermon series, though, uh, I just want to say a quick word of thanks. Um, you know, as I pray through um, where the Lord would have us go and what the Lord would have us to say, um, I am thankful for a church that even when God takes us through the minor prophets, that I have a church that's going to go with me. And uh, thankful that you not only desire, but that you encourage me to preach the whole counsel of God. And certainly, um, these are not passages that we hear a lot of. These are not passages that are easy by any stretch of the imagination. They are, uh, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the salt to the gospel. Uh, they help us to see hard things, but they help God's grace and God's mercy and his salvation to be that much deeper and that much more praiseworthy. Um, and so I hope and I pray that as we have gone through these texts, as uh, difficult as they may have been, as hard as they may have been, uh, that they provided an opportunity for you to look in the mirror and to understand how God sees you and how much he has loved you to show you grace and how much we still have the need to make him first in our lives as we go along. As we come to the end, Habakkuk 3 does a wonderful job of tying all of these things together and uh, certainly is a fitting end to the uh, sermon series that we have been looking at these last three months. And so hopefully you found that passage by now. If you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. If We're going to read the whole of chapter 3, and so if in the middle of that you need to have a seat, we totally understand, but uh, let's stand as we hear from our Lord. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light, rays flashing from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and, the, and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways." I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. 
Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging water swept on. The depth gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place, and the light of your arrows as they sped at the flashing of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the evil, sorry, of the olive fall, fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for this prayer, for this song, Lord, that, that the prophet has recorded at the moving of your spirit. We thank you for your word and how it speaks, how it encourages us, how it admonishes us for the life that it brings. Father, we thank you for this season that we're reminded of the greatest gift that humankind has ever been given. Or for your son who paid for our sin and who rose again to defeat death and evil that we may share in the victory for eternity. Father, we pray that you would do wondrous things in our midst again. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to Habakkuk and we look at the ending of this passage, it's good for us to remember where we have come from in terms of Habakkuk's divine conversation with God. If you look at the first two chapters of this book, you see the prophet and you see um, God having a discussion back and forth, a divine conversation that is kind of unique in Scripture in some ways. We see Job have this, some discussions like this. At times we see Moses have discussions like this. But for the most part, it's it's fairly unique. The prophet starts off by asking the question, will evil continue in Israel? And again, this is kind of review from last week, but we're going to try to, but it's good for us to see this and where we're going. The prophet asks, will evil continue in Israel? He looks around himself, he looks at the kingdom of Judah, he looks at Jerusalem, and he says, man, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. He sees greed, 
He sees selfishness. He sees the abuse of power and wealth. He sees idol worship. He sees the people of God, those that would claim that they are God's chosen people, chasing after other gods and after other things. And in doing so, we see morality, the morality of the country is just turned upside down. And Habakkuk is just kind of beside himself. It's like, how long will this continue? How long is God going to allow his people to act this way? And certainly we could do the same thing. We could look around our own country and our own society and we could see the same thing. We see greed. We see selfishness. We see the, the violence and the abuse of power. We can see idol worship. We may not see people bowing down to wooden objects, but we certainly see people putting other things before God, whether it be money or their job or prestige or themselves or other things. And we've seen as that happens, the morality of our society and our culture being turned upside down, where now we celebrate that which God calls evil, where we proclaim it, where we call it inclusion rather than what it is. And certainly the church is not immune from this. We've allowed it to creep into our midst as well as a, as a total so we too can ask the question, will evil continue? How long will this go on? God in his graciousness responds to Habakkuk. He says it will not go on forever. It will end. If you go back to chapter one, one of my favorite verses in this entire book is verse five. It says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He says, look Habakkuk, I've got this under control. I, I'm going to discipline my people. I'm going to, and then he tells them how he's going to do it. He, he says, I'm going to bring up the, the nation of Babylon. They're going to come in. They're going, to, they're going to discipline the people. They're going to destroy everything. The prophet Habakkuk, upon hearing this, you can see in his response, it's almost like, ah, that's not exactly what I meant. He we get the sense in his response that it's almost like, you know, I was thinking of more like revival. I was thinking like maybe you would, you would speak and you would do a miraculous work in your people's life and they would actually listen to me when I told them to. That they would listen to the other prophets that are speaking the same message that I am and that their hearts would be changed and that we would return to worship with you. That's what I was thinking. I was not thinking like, you know, tear down all of Jerusalem and destroy the temple. That was not where I was going with that. And so in, in having that discussion, he asks a second question. He says, how can you use an unrighteous nation? How can you use an unrighteous nation to judge Israel? How can you use somebody that's worse than us to discipline us? He, he, just, he doesn't understand how God, how God could do this. He doesn't understand how God works. And he kind of calls God on the carpet for it. He's pretty prideful at the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, thinking that he can, he can talk to God in a, in a pretty irreverent way, really. God's response to this is all will be judged. His response to this is the equivalent of a parent looking at a child and saying, you worry about you, I'll worry about them. He says, you, you worry about Judah and what's going to happen there. You worry about your own sin. You worry about your nation's sin. You let me worry about the Babylonians. I'm going to take care of them. I know they're prideful. I know they're bloodthirsty. I know they're violent. 
trust me, it, it's gonna, there's going to be judgment. He pronounces five woes in chapter 5 against the Babylonians. He says, this isn't going to go on forever. All will be judged. All will be taken care of. All will receive what is theirs. And tucked away in that response is a wonderful phrase. Tucked away in that response, we see in the second half of verse 4 of chapter 2, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. In all of this message of of judgment and of righteousness and of, of discipline towards sin, God leaves this nugget for Habakkuk. He leaves this nugget for his people. The righteous shall live by faith. And the idea is there not just that they would physically live, though that was part of it for Habakkuk, but that they would continue on. That there was more to life than just what was what we're looking at. That they would not only live physically, but that there would be a a spiritual prosperity that happens. He says they're going to live, they're going to make it. They're going to survive on faith. It's not unlike what Jesus tells Satan in the temptation when he looks and he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on the word of God. The righteous shall live by faith, by their trust on him. Habakkuk stands back. You can just picture having this conversation. And maybe you've had deep conversations before that really, that really struck down into your soul. And, and you can imagine Habakkuk is having this conversation with God, this back and forth question and answer. And Habakkuk, you get to the end of chapter two and you can imagine Habakkuk just kind of taking a step back and going, oh, God has responded. And he sees the totality of that response. And he gives us in a song, chapter three is Habakkuk's response to this divine conversation that has happened about God's response to evil. And Habakkuk gives us this song. Now you may say, now wait a minute. It says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. How do you say that it's a song? Well, there's some clues here. One is it says, according to Shiganoth. Now we have no idea what that means. We have none. We have no clue. But what we think what we think, based on other parts of Scripture and other things we think of, is that is the tune, according to Shinnegoth, according to this tune. If you go through the Baptist hymnal, you're going to notice that there are lots of hymns that have different words, but they're set to the same tunes. Like, you'll hear a song, and you'll go, oh, I know this one, and then we'll start singing it, and you'll go, no, I don't have any clue what this says. Because it's just the same tune. It's not the same lyrics. Here, we get the idea that that Habakkuk is taking this prayer of his and he is setting it to music to a specific tune. This is an instruction. Not only that, but you have the presence of the word Selah. You'll see it mentioned throughout the passage there. Where else do you see that? You see it in the Psalms over and over and over again. In congregational singing, you have this marker Selah. We don't know what it means. 
It could be louder, it could be pause, it could be anything, but we see a marker that we see in the Psalms. But here's the dead giveaway. Look at the last verse. To the choir master with stringed instruments. If you didn't believe anything else I said, that one there makes it pretty clear. This is a song. It's a prayer, yes. It's, it's Habakkuk's response to God, yes. But it's been set to music that others may join him in this prayer. If you have been with us on Wednesday nights, we talked about praying scripture, this is it, Okay. Like taking the words of God and responding to him with them. So he's singing this song. Now every song that's ever been written has a message. Okay, Now some of them are silly messages. Some of them are serious messages. Lots of them have to do about different things. We have, you know, mess- we have songs that communicate about love. We have songs that communicate about heartbreak. We have songs that communicate about uh, poor choices that we make. Uh, you listen to country music, you're going to hear a lot of that. All right? So we, we have songs that communicate things. That's the point of singing. The same is true for songs from Scripture. And Habakkuk's song certainly is trying to communicate something with us and back towards God. So what is it, what is it that Habakkuk's song in chapter 3 is trying to communicate? That's what we're going to look at this morning and kind of walk through this song. First, Habakkuk's song is about the glory of God. It's about the glory of God. Go back to chapter 3 with me. Look in verse, starting in verse 2. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light of rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Habakkuk starts his song by talking about just the magnificence of God, the glory of God. How God is different from any other being that we ever encounter. His light, his holiness, his greatness, his power. And Habakkuk just stands. He says, I hear of these things and I fear. Habakkuk realizes in this moment, I think, that he's been having a conversation with God. And he's like, I don't deserve that. Can you imagine? He's like, I, he, it just dawns on him that I've been asking questions. I've been a little bit disrespectful towards the God of the universe. And, and I'm remembering now his glory. I'm remembering now who he is. And, and I am afraid. I take a step back in respect. It's not unlike the conversation that Job has. When Job has a conversation with God and God responds and Job does what? He says, I'm going to shut my mouth now. I'm going to cover my hand, my mouth with my hand. I'm going to stop talking for a minute. It's not unlike the prophet Isaiah when he sees the vision of God in the temple sitting on his throne and his robes fill the temple and there's smoke and there's flame and there's angels flying and singing and Isaiah looks and beholds God in all of his glory and what does he say? Woe is me. Isaiah realizes in that moment, I don't belong here. I'm not holy like that. I'm not perfect like that. 
It's not unlike what we see in the book of Revelation. John, the disciple, sees a vision, sees encounters the risen Christ in all of his glory, returned to the throne in all of his glory of heaven. And John says he beheld the risen Christ. And what is his response? He says, I dropped down like a dead man. In other words, he fainted. Like, it's, it, it, as I read that passage, I always catch up because it reminds me of like a fangirl. Like, she sees the pop star and she faints on the ground and all her friends catch her. That's John. He sees Jesus in all of his glory and he drops. He's like, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I don't deserve to see this. Habakkuk's response and, his, and the, the declaration of the beginning of this song is God is more glorious, more wonderful, more awesome than we could ever imagine. He says, you are good. He goes on. He says, not only is God glorious, not only does the song proclaim God's glory, but it proclaims God's power. Starting in verse 5. Before him, God, went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. He says, not only is God glorious, but he is powerful. My favorite line in maybe these few verses is this. It says, he looked and shook the nations. He looked and shook the nations. That's power like we don't understand. When God can simply look and the nations go quiet, like the nations are in fear. I remember when I was a kid, and it's still true to some extent today, my mom has the look. Not all moms have this, okay? It's not universal. There are some moms that don't. But many, many of the mothers that I have met in my life have the look. The look is so powerful that I can remember as a child that I would feel the hair on my neck stand up and I would know without a doubt my mother is near and she disapproves. And I would begin to scan, right? And eventually across the room, usually uh, when, when I was growing up in church, the youth sat on this side and the adults kind of scattered on here. And my mom and dad sat on the far side, right? And I could, if something was going on in the youth section and I felt that hair stand up on the back of my neck, I would lean, Right? Very cautiously, very slowly, I would lean and I would look across. And sure enough, 99.9% .9 of the time, my mom was looking right at me. And there was no question what was on her mind, nor was there a question what was going to happen later. Okay? She looked and I shook. Right? No words were needed. In the same way, God looks and the nations shake. He doesn't need to speak. He doesn't need to do anything. God's power is so complete and so unfathomable by us that he simply has to look and everything falls in line. Habakkuk says, you are glorious. You are grand. You are greater than I could ever understand. And you are powerful. He says, God, you are right. Even though I have been told what is happening, it blows my mind. That you could raise up a whole nation to discipline another nation and then judge. Like, you're powerful. 
you're in control. I don't, I don't even begin to understand all of it, but I, I understand that it is true. He says that God's, in this song, it communicates God's glory. This song communicates God's power, and it communicates God's work. God is not just some glorious, all-powerful being that sets far away uh, and, and resides and just watches over human history, but rather God is one who is always at work in the history of mankind. He's always doing something. His hand is in everything. It says there in verse 7, I saw the tents of Kashan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Was, or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped away the sheath from your bow, calling many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and ride. The raging waters swept on. The depth gave forth its voice, and it lifted its hands on high. As we read on through that passage he is describing, Habakkuk is in poetic language describing not just the glory of God, not just the power of God, but the work of God. He speaks of creation, of dividing the earth, of raising up all things, of lowering mountains, of raising mountains. But then he begins to describe the work of God for his people. He begins to work for his people. Let's backtrack just a little bit, okay? Backtrack just a little bit. Remember in verse 5, he says, Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. Now, if you know your Old Testament very much at all, what does that remind you of? When you hear the word plague, instantly, if you know your Old Testament a little bit, your mind goes to Egypt, right? We have this situation where God's people are enslaved in Egypt, and they've been crying out, God, save us. God, have mercy upon us. God sends a guy named Moses who says, hey, you need to let these people go. Pharaoh says, it's not going to happen. Forget about it. What happens? God comes in, and he unleashes just a series of plagues until the point where Pharaoh says, okay, get out. Get out. And the power of God has been displayed so they leave. They're free, right? Well, it goes on, right? The story was, we know it from Exodus. The people leave. They march out of town. Pharaoh has a change of heart. He changes his mind. He goes, what did I do? I just lost all my workforce. And they were free. And so he runs after them with the army. And they find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and the Pharaoh's and Pharaoh's army. And they begin to cry out to Moses. And they're like, it would have been better if we would have stayed in Egypt. But now we're going to die out here in the desert God turns around, God turns to Moses, and God says, you let me take care of it. Stretch out your hands. Moses stretches out his hands. What happens? The waters part. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The depth gave forth its voice. The depth lifted its hands. The glory and the power of God separated the waters and the waters held up their hands and said, we submit. Why? For the salvation of God's people. God's people walk through on dry land. They cross in safety. At that point, the Egyptians try to follow. They think if we can, they can do it, we can do it too. God 
brings the sea crashing back down on him. He destroys his enemies. It goes on, though. He not only speaks of Egypt, he says in verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they speed at the flash of your glittering spear. What does that remind you of? Right? Joshua. <laughs> like, they're going into a new land and a promised land, but there's all these enemies that are before them, and there's constant threat at every turn, and they're sitting there, and, and Israel cries out to God and says, we need help. We're winning, but we need help if we're going to win the war. And so what does, what does God do? He causes the sun to stand still, and he gives them all the time that they need to win. Habakkuk says, you're glorious, you're powerful, you are at work. He said, you march through the earth in fury, you thresh the nations in anger. Why? He was clearing the land for the people. All of this comes to this point in verse 18. He says, he went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. He said, all of the glory, all of your power, all of your works have been for what? They've been for the salvation of your people. It's pretty amazing. He's going to stand on this, right? He's like, this is why you're doing things. And then he puts in something really interesting. He says, you crush the head of the house of wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You crush the head of the house of the wicked. I read that time and time again, and I was suddenly reminded of God's promise to the snake. To that old enemy Satan when he tempted Adam and Eve and led them into temptation and sin entered the world and death with it. He who could truly be called the head of the house of the wicked. What does he tell the snake? He says, you, you, there will be one born of a woman and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. It's the salvation of his people. This picture that God has started in Genesis of saying, you have won this. Sin has entered. You have corrupted everything. Congratulations. It's not going to stay this way. I am going to win the battle. And lo and behold, who knows how long later, a virgin named Mary gives forth to a son. And his name is Jesus. And he lives a perfect life. And yes, the serpent striked his heel. Yes, he was crucified for our mistakes, for our sins. But on the third day, he rose again and defeated death and evil on that day. And the head of the serpent was crushed. And the victory has been won. And now we celebrate it is finished. Amen. The song of the redeemed, the song of Habakkuk is of God's glory. It's of his power and of it's, of it's, of, it's of his work. And I love what he says back in verse 2. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. And then listen to this. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. What is he doing? He's calling for revival. He's saying, God, you've saved us before. You've worked before. Do it again. In the midst of the years, make it known. Testify about your work. And in your wrath, remember mercy. He says, I know, I know discipline is coming. But I trust in the one who saves. Do it again. God, do it again. 
Oh, that we would pray what Habakkuk prays, that we see a world that is evil, that we see a world that is turned away from God, that we see a world where that is afflicted, and we would look to him and say, we know that you are glorious. We know that you are powerful. We know that you have worked for the salvation of your people before. Do it again. Do it again. Do it in this country. Do it in Vidalia. Do it in this church. Do it again. Notice the change in Habakkuk upon hearing from the Lord. This prophet who stands before God and says, how long are you going to let this go on? This prophet that stands before God and says, how long are you going to ignore evil? This prophet that says, you don't know what's going on. The, the, the prophet that stands before God and says, the law is paralyzed. This prophet who stands before God and says, how are you going to use the Babylonians to, to punish us? Speak, I'm listening, I'm waiting for your response. This prideful, arrogant prophet who now stands before God and says, you are glorious, you are wonderful, you are all powerful, you work for the salvation of your people. Do it again. Do it again. He has completely changed. He understands now. He understands now that phrase in chapter 2. The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. Habakkuk says, none of this other stuff, none of this other stuff matters. It's you. It's always been you. He says, we live by faith. Look here at the end of this passage with me. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit, tree, fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and yet there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the Lord of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Notice some things here about the end of this song and what it's communicating. Notice that Habakkuk's situation is worse. Habakkuk had been saying, man, life stinks. Like, there is evil all around. I'm experiencing it every day. God, what are you going to do about it? The response is, Babylon, the Babylonians are going to come in. They're going to wipe everything away. Habakkuk's situation is worse than it was before. The prophet now stands with the vision of what is coming. And what he sees in the future is destruction is horror, is famine, is the taking away of the people of God from the land of God. What he sees in front of him is not good. His situation is worse, and yet his response is different. His response is steady faith. He says, I hear about what you're going to do, and it, it causes my knees to shake, to be honest. I see what you're going to do, and it worries me, and yet I will quietly wait. I'll quietly wait for your justice to take its full turn. 
That's quite a bit different than what we see at the beginning of the book, is it not? That's no longer, how long, Lord? That's no longer, when are you going to do something about this? It's, I trust that you are going to do something. I will quietly wait. Not do nothing. That's not the idea here. But just, I will continue on. But I will not complain. I will trust in you. He says that famine is coming, that all of the food sources are failed or have been stripped away, which would not have been uncommon, by the way, when the Babylonians came in. They're going to destroy all the food there. They don't want anything left. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's quite a bit different response than what we expect, right? When you hear of of horrible incoming news to say, he is my joy. In him I will rejoice. That's only the song that the redeemed can sing. That's only a song that those who have put their faith and trust in a glorious, powerful, working God can sing. It's a song that we see not only in Habakkuk, but it's a word that we see later too. Turn with me to Hebrew, or sorry, Romans 8. Romans 8. Keep the words of Habakkuk in the back of your mind. I will quietly wait. I will find joy. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for revealing of the sons of God. Going down to verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Going down to verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who condemns. Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The song of the redeemed is that evil will not overcome to this, the great, the great pastor Charles Spurgeon says, my joy has been put out of the reach of my enemies. My joy, the joy of my salvation has been put out of the reach of my enemies. Oh, brother and sister, we suffer difficult things, no doubt. No doubt, we suffer difficult things. And I don't want to minimize any of those today. 
But understand that those things do not overcome us. That the sin and the evil of this world do not overcome the believer. That sickness and disease do not overcome us. Not even death overcomes the believer. In him, we are victorious. Habakkuk says, you are glorious. You are wonderful. You have worked for the salvation of your people. Do it again. Do it again. Friends, is this our song? Do we sing this song? Here at this Christmas season, do we stand before the Lord in the midst of all of the other troubles, in the midst of all the evil that we see? Do we stand before the Lord on this Christmas season and say, you are glorious, you are powerful, you are our Savior? Do it again. Do it again. Because we live by faith and nothing else. Oh, friend, I pray. As we come this season, we would not allow ourselves to be overcome by anything, but by his glory and by his grace and by his love, that we would proclaim it from the rooftops. My prayer is that if you are in the midst of something, you would hold on to him, that you would sing Habakkuk's song and say, I will wait quietly and I will have joy in him. We're going to have a time of response as the praise team comes back up. My prayer is this this morning, that maybe this morning you are dealing with difficult things. You have heard difficult news. You've been living with difficult things. My prayer is, is that you would hold on to him, that you would let him do what he does. You would find joy and contentment in him, that you would be reminded of how he has worked in the past and like a blanket you would allow the memory of those things to wrap you and to comfort you my prayer is, is that if you don't know him this morning that you're not following you've never had that moment in your life where you have trusted him that you would hear these things and you would go i need that i need that and that you would just come to him in prayer and say father forgive me i know i've tried to do it my own way Forgive me for my sin. I trust you. I want to follow you. Maybe this morning, you need to join Habakkuk and just sing. Just sing well what he has done. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and Father, I pray that you would remind me of your wondrous works. Father, that you would remind me again and again of who you are and what you've done. Lord, that you would, you would do it again for your glory and for your name, that you would save, that you would lead, that you would comfort. Father, that you would bring joy and peace. Lord, do it again in my heart in the hearts of my brothers and sisters in here, in the hearts of those that do not know you yet, in the hearts of those that are outside these walls. Father, do it again. I pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ.